James, we're continuing to work our way through, and tonight I want to start out in chapter 2 and, and uh, just try and tackle 13 verses, and so uh, there's a few cross-references we'll have you flipping, and uh, I'm not going to apologize for that because it's much easier to read what God says about his word and confirm it than it is for me to try and make it sound interesting. But chapter 1 talks about joy and trials and completing our faith uh, Trials that complete our faith and, and our God and our hope in his kingdom. And then it says, Blessed is the man that endures trials and temptations, for he'll receive a crown. And then it says, Anyone lacking wisdom can ask God and he will give it liberally. In the key verses in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow or turning. And of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then in verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And in verse 25, what's our part? But he who looks diligently into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is uh, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this is the one that will be blessed in what he does. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that law of liberty tonight in chapter 2. And starting in verse 1, um, just the subjects found in chapter 2. Partiality and favoritism is the main subject that has a context throughout this chapter. And then sub, uh, subjects, part of that, uh, rich and poor, the royal law, the letter of the law, and the law of liberty. And there's an interesting, um, hopefully a freeing thing for us to learn tonight about the law. And then mercy, and uh, part of partiality and favoritism. And then the latter part of the chapter 2, and we won't get into that tonight, the subject is dead faith. And um, that is what he's calling it, not me. Um, but, uh, and, I, and I do agree with him. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with him, that's not what I'm saying. But uh, James 2, 1 through 13, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come also a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and to the poor man you say there, you say stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brethren, has, not, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, will you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Well, if you commit adultery, but you do uh, do not commit adultery, but you do murder, will you become a transgressor of the law? So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. 
because mercy triumphs over judgment. So back in verse 1, James um, uh, uses the name Lord of glory. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, just my brethren, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, with partiality. Well, he says, no, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And he says that for a reason. Um, if we were to look at that word glory, um, it's the supreme ruler, the king. Absolute perfection of deity is that word glory. Most glorious condition, the most exalted state of that condition with God the Father in heaven to which Christ was raised after he achieved his work on earth. That glorious condition of blessedness into which is appointed and promised that true Christians shall enter after their Savior's return from heaven. That's that word glory. Why is he bringing that up? It's interesting that he would want them to look at that in light of what they're doing. Here sits God in heaven, and the Lord Jesus is ruling from on high, and these guys are choosing to pick amongst themselves whether a guy is worthy just by the clothes he's wearing or how much money he's got. And here God sits above it all. About the Lord of glory, if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, um, actually don't turn there. I'm going to have you turn to Revelation 4, 1 through 11. In chapter 1 of Ezekiel, he talks about these four creatures around the throne of God. And uh, they have a great description. The one thing I want you to notice is they move like lightning, it says in Ezekiel. So they are instantly wherever they need to go. In Zechariah 6, 5, it says they're standing around the Lord of all the earth. In other words, these guys are there present with the Lord who is over the earth. And they're like lightning that the way they move, they can see and get anywhere in a flash. And the interesting part in Revelation 4, verse 11, or 4, verse 1 through 11, is the description of these guys and, and what we learn about them. After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, the one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, and his appearance is like emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne around them were four living creatures. Notice this. Full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second like a calf. The third creature like a face of like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the, floor, the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you they will 
by your will, they exist and were created. And that's something we can always think about when we want to worship. But notice the eyes. And we, we look at these creatures, and they see everything. They have eyes all over. They stand before the throne, which is the throne above the earth. They see everything that's in heaven. They see everything in the universe. And also, they see what's within themselves. And they don't see anything anywhere else that's holy, except when they see the throne, except when they see the Lord. And so that's when they bow down, when they see the Lord. But they can look within, and and they can look everywhere in the world. They don't see anything else that's holy until they see the throne. And those of us who are in him, we're in him, and he is holy, and therefore we are holy in him. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is, these creatures see everything immediately, and James says, consider our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was God with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And who are you and I? Well, we're just vapor. We're just dust, right? We're just men. Going into uh, the point of James, it's these guys, he's trying to bring to their attention, look, there's a Lord God in heaven. Why is it we're showing favoritism? What is it that's so important about what a guy wears or does for a living or drives or whether he can fly around the world or not? And uh, some of us maybe never left the state, may never leave the state our whole lives, you know. Um, so verses 2 through 4. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come also a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves? Be reasonable, guys. I mean, if that's what you're looking at and doing, you know, you're showing partiality. And you've become, notice this, judges. And he's calling them judges because that's what they're doing. And not only that, but with evil thoughts or evil motives. So what is it that they're actually judging? These judges with evil motives. Well, they're judging God's provision of his son Jesus Christ for our salvation that poor man that's there that you're treating and I'm saying James is saying to them that they are treating like this they're treating him as though he's something less than anybody else and so there's a you know as if there's some type of different status before the Lord Jesus between two different types of people and Jesus said you know how does James address that the poor are chosen to be rich and heirs And Jesus said, blessed are the poor. They shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's an interesting insight into this. It's been like that from the very beginning with the Lord. He's never shown favoritism. And even when it came to the the children of Israel back in Exodus 30, if you want to flip there, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, Then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And when you number them, that there may be no plague among them, when you number them, this is what everyone amongst those who are numbered shall give, a half a shekel, just a little half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. A half a shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among these who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more money, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. And when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money 
and the children of Israel shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Isn't that interesting? No matter how rich you are, you give a half a shekel. No matter how poor you are, you give a half a shekel. And what's, the, what's going on there? They're numbered in the congregation, so they're there, you know, rich or poor. They're, if they're believers, they're numbered in the congregation of believers today. And James is saying to, that, to their effect as well back then, no more for the rich and no less for the poor. There's absolutely no distinction when it comes to do with your membership in the body of Christ and you're being a part of the body of Christ. Leviticus 19.15, just a couple pages, well, a little few there. I can just read it for you if you like. Um, 19 verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the persons of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Rich or poor, what matters? What matters is your righteousness. Rich or poor in the body of Christ, who's our righteousness? Well, Jesus is. Why would you say to the rich man, you got something going on more than the poor man does? And so, you know, James is, they're not judging regarding the righteous. He's talking to him. He says, you guys are judging with evil motives. They would never judge the rich guy saying, hey, you know, you got to get your act together. They don't want to offend him. They, they've got evil motives. They're looking to get rich um, or trying to figure out a way to, to benefit from uh, showing preference to the rich. And then they're forgetting, James says, how the rich oppress them. Well, First Timothy, if you want to head back towards the New Testament. First Timothy 6. And there's many, many Proverbs, many, many Psalms that deal with the rich and the poor. Um, if you're thinking about somebody else, the most thing I want you to think about is what the Lord would be showing you. I mean, we can point the finger and we can't just sit back and point the finger at the rich. We don't know what their lives are like. I mean, what good does it do to covet? We've never walked in their shoes. We don't know what they've had to do. We don't know if their dad and grandpa had to clear that valley and, and uh, get all them stumps out of there and spent their whole life clearing that land to have a farm, and now their grandkids are enjoying a great farm. You know, that's something that we don't always see. But um, in, in uh, Psalm 73 comes to mind. You can just note that down. But First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 I'm in the wrong one. Verses 6 through 10. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, now it talks about the desire, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men into destruction. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For some have strayed, and for which some have strayed, and, and from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And the next page over in, in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, it says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Ah, not today. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. And boy, if you're going to start someplace, that's a good place to start. Self-control, being able to, to handle yourself. Uh, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, James gets into that, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, notice, but denying its power and from such people turn away. And for all uh, for this sort are those who creep into households, make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sin and led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth of corruption, or men of corrupt minds. Does, did I have all those verses in there? Yeah. Oh, no, two, two through five. So, yeah, I'm going on. There's a lot more to Janus and Jambres for another time. Uh, Titus, one more page over. Titus 1 through 9, or I'm sorry, Titus 1, chapter, nine, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and then jump down to 16. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, and that he may be able by sound doctrine uh, both to exhort, convict those who contradict. Okay, so for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole, whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. And so the idea that I'm getting to is that just for the sake of respecting these guys, you know, these are the type of guys that are going to respect the rich. Well, they're, they're just hanging out for them so that they can have a gain. And then in 17, um, or in 16, um, they profess to know God, but in the works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So they themselves may not even be among the rich, the ones that James is writing to. He's talking about when the rich come in amongst you. Well, the people he's writing to, most of them probably aren't doing so, so well. There was a lot of poverty, and, and we see that some of them you know, didn't even have clothes and, and uh, food, and we get to that later on. But Proverbs 28, and I'll just read it if you'd like, just one verse, verse 3. It says, A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. So it's not always the rich that oppress the poor. Sometimes the poor oppress the poor. Well, then there's nothing left at all. The driving rain basically swipes everything clean. So you think you're you know, doing something you know, for somebody to, to try and gain favor and maybe make a little profit on it and... Uh, you start oppressing the poor and yourself, you're not even that well off, and just like that, there's nothing. And so it goes. And then he says, beloved brethren, back in James. And you've got to remember that. He's writing to the brethren. There are those there that he's going to take to task. And he's taking a lot to task through what we've seen so far, but always with an invitation for repentance, and always with an answer, a chance to, to draw close to the Lord again. And here he says, beloved brethren, in uh, verse 8, you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And in verse 8 he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, will you do well? Now notice the royal law. And now we've got to wonder, okay, is this the, the Old Testament, the Torah? Is this the, the law that the Pharisees were talking about? And we're going to get down to another law. That There's really three laws in this little passage there's the royal law, there's the letter of the law, and then there's the law of liberty. And uh, the royal law, if you want to flip to Matthew 22, ultimately it comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. If you want to take a note, 
In Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18, but in Matthew 22, and we'll just read uh, 34 through 40, Jesus had been uh, you know, discussing these Sadducees who had their questions, and now the Pharisees had some questions. And uh, the scribes, you know, they were all questioning the Lord. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, I'm talking about the resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Well, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang the law and the prophet. And so what is James saying here? If you guys are going to uh, keep and fulfill the royal law, where you love your brother as yourself, and you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you do well. That's what you're seeking to do. And, uh, you know, what does he say then in, in verse you know, well, first of all, if you wanted to, to think about that word fulfill um, and what they're thinking of themselves doing here, the word is the same root from teleos we talked about the other day. And it's teleo, it means to complete, to finish to the end, every last bit's accomplished. And now he's speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Uh, to the 12 uh, tribes scattered about, that's who he's addressing this letter to. Well, they know what he's talking about. I mean, they, these guys, as believers, they now have the royal law from Jesus to love God and love their neighbors. They should understand that love extends to all because they're used to keeping the law in every single detail. They're used to knowing that you just don't... They, they're used to following it. And so when he says that to them, now we're talking about the royal law. Now we're talking about loving God, loving your brother. Follow that to the detail. Follow that to the, till it's complete, till it's mature. And so as such, he's addressing them and how they're showing partiality. 1 John 2, if you'd like to go there, uh, verses 1 through 11, really sums this up. Uh, 1 John 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, brethren, I write no new commandment to you. He's going to, you know, this kills me at this point because I don't do all that I should do. And I'm thinking, boy, is this me that I'm, you know, I don't even know him? But then he writes, no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, that which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, in Jesus now, and in you as believers, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother, there it is, 
is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What does it boil down to? Love. What's that royal law? Love the Lord thy God and love your brother as you love yourself. You know, it kind of sounds like the golden rule, but it's not. You know, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. Well, you know, that kind of sounds good, but almost kind of sounds like karma too. You know, you just get so much for what you're going to give. That's not it. Love is selfless. Love is something you don't give expecting to get in return. And um, certainly we should love as we love ourselves because nobody hates themselves despite what you may think. If you had low self-esteem because of the way you look or anything like that, well, if you hated yourself, you'd be glad you were looking the way you looked or whatever your problem you think you have is. And I can't help but bring it up because it's kind of a... I heard this a while back and it's just uh, interesting. I heard... um, be yourself, everybody else is taken. It's one of those things, it's simple wisdom. What good does it do to, to be covetous, right? Um, now, verses 9 through 11 in James, uh, chapter 2, we read about the letter of the law. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And he's talking about that law that would be the love, the royal law that you're supposed to have. For whoever shall keep the whole law now, this letter of the law, he's making the example, they should know because they're Jews, and yet stumble in one point, well, he's guilty of all. And they knew that. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you know, where am I at here? Verse 9 through 11. And if you do commit murder or adultery, but... If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you know you can do it all right. And I remember Chuck Smith telling the story. They live out in California, and what's that island off of there? Um, off of L.A., down the big island, um, Catalina. And uh, they have, uh, Chuck would tell the story, you've got a guy who is a swimmer. I mean, the guy probably swang, swam the uh, English Channel or something like that. People have done that before. But Catalina is a ways out there. And um, he'll have this guy that's in shape, and he's got uh, everything going for him. He's got everything trained and tuned and everything else, and he's going to swim, and he's going to get almost there. But last mile, he just, last 100 yards, he just runs out of steam, and bloop, he goes down. Then you got me, and you go out there, and you make it past the second wave, and bloop, I go down. You know, we all fall short. And he might keep that whole law up to one point, but at a certain point, if he messes it up in one point, he's guilty of the whole business. And that's, that's what James is saying here. If you're going to do it, you know, uh, you, you make one, one mistake or you, you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. And um, as believers, we have forgiveness. We, we, we confess our, our sins. We have mercy. We have grace. And ultimately, he's going to bring that to to. Around, if you, presumed, if you presume to keep the whole law forbidding adultery and a murder, and then you know that you fail at any point, you're guilty of all. You've got to keep it all. If as believers you fail to love as prescribed by the royal law, then you're transgressors. That's what he's telling these guys. Now, verses 12 through 13, it says, So speak as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Well, what's this law of liberty now? If the word there is... Uh, well, I know the Greek number. I don't know how to pronounce the word. It's one of them longer Greek ones, but uh, the 
Strong's Bible or the Strong's Concordance to the Bible is uh, G one six five seven. If you want to jot it down, look it up yourselves. It's the definition of that word liberty. Uh, things you fancy to do or omit, license to do as you please. But for believers, true liberty to live as we should live, not or as we should and not as we please. And to fine-tune what that means, we're going to look at that a little bit tonight. And that is uh, Romans 8, 11 through 21. What does it really mean for us as believers? What's that law of liberty that we're supposed to judge by? Um, Verse 11 through 21. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And notice this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That liberty that we have is not that we should walk after the flesh or according to the, the, the flesh. You know, we're dead to the flesh. Now we live in the spirit and the, all of nature, I mean, I don't know what, what that means necessarily, how the animals are still skittish around us. I'm thinking, gee, if they're waiting on the glorification of the saints with the Lord, maybe they'd be a little more friendly and hang out and we could look at them up close. I don't know, but, you know, that's, uh, it, to me, it's a, a, an insight to the fact that, indeed, all creation waits because we're free. We're free now and we're going to be with him. Galatians 5 if you want to flip over there a little bit to the, to the right. Verses 15 through 26. It says, But if you bite and devour one another, and we're going to get into that next week, uh, beware lest you're consumed by one another. I say, uh, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He's talking about that letter of the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is pharmakia, and that's where we get the word pharmaceuticals, um, or pharmacy. No, I lost my place. Fornication, uncleanness, sorcery, hatred, contentious jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. And that's my point. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. Some would use the freedom to reject any authority in their life. But God still has the authority. We still operate under the power of the Holy Spirit and the only good thing we can do. And we're not supposed to use, to, to use our freedom for the flesh. First Peter 2, 9-17. through 17, And then talking about temptations. We, we hit on this a little bit, I think, in chapter 1 as well. But when it comes to temptations... Um, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive their wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, and they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right and gone astray. And followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. I'm in Second Peter, aren't I? Well, somebody should have threw something at me. I'm sitting there waiting for that to get around to where it was. <laughs> All right, back to First Peter. That must have been for somebody. <laughs> All righty, 9 through 17, and this will make a lot more sense in our context. But you are a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who, were, who once were not a people but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And beloved brother, and James calls him, and beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that, they may, uh, that, they speak, uh, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, be, uh, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king of supreme, to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, our freedom, our liberty, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brethren, or the brotherhood, and fear God, and honor the king. You know, again, those that would use their freedom. We live by the law of liberty. We live by 
the, the royal law of loving God with all our hearts, and loving our brother as we love ourselves. And we take comfort in hearing this, as we should, but we forget that there are things to do and good works to walk in. In verse 13, back in James um, chapter 2, it says, For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, well, mercy triumphs over judgment. So what did he call them in the, in the beginning of this passage? They were judging these guys with evil motives. They're judging the poor that are coming in, and they're not even judging the rich that probably they should be thinking twice about. You wouldn't want to judge either one. We're not called to judge in that fashion. Uh, but he says here, you know, judgment without mercy. Aren't we glad that we've been recipients of mercy and grace? And, you know, the, the days that go by and we find ourselves failing and doing the things we shouldn't be doing, and, and we cry out to the Lord. He forgives us. He's faithful to us. He works in us the strength to, to not stumble like that. You know, and yet we, until he comes, we're still in a work in progress. Till the day we go to be with him, we're still dragging around these carcasses that are on the, on the altar but like to crawl off the altar. And um, the flesh, and notice what he says, judgment without mercy. And that's what they're doing to these poor guys, and literally the poor amongst themselves. And to the one who judges like that, without mercy, no mercy is going to be shown. And if you want to turn to Matthew 18, mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, the Lord gave us a, a parable to that effect, and really more, more than a parable, um, it very likely had been happening, and, and he was pointing it out. Matthew eighteen twenty three to 35, mercy over judgment. He's telling these parables, and the one's the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who had owed him 10,000 talents, and I didn't figure that out in dollars, but does anybody know how it, that's like a lot? Okay. And he was not able to pay, and his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children. That must have been a lot. And all that he had, that payment could be made. Well, the servant, therefore, fell down before him and saying, Master, I have patience with me. Wait, and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, pennies, hardly anything. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat and saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not and went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And I don't know how you're supposed to pay a debt when you're in prison, but I guess they, there's a way to do that. And so when his fellow servants now saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called them, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. You should not also have, or should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry, he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother in trespass. Ouch. And he says this in context. Peter came and said, Lord, I've got to forgive my brother. 
Like, how many times? I mean, come on, he keeps on doing the same thing. Well, seven times 70, you know, 490. Okay, he's at 483. I'm, pretty soon I'm going to be able to take it out on him. Well, no. You know, the, it means you don't stop forgiving. And sometimes you, you wonder why people keep doing the same things they do. I don't know, the Lord's going to work. Pray for them. Pray for them, the Lord works in their lives. And maybe there's a whole lot of other stuff he's working on in their lives before they get around to quit doing that thing they keep doing. But you've got to be willing to forgive. And, um, you know, James is talking about judging, talking about these guys wanting to keep the rules, and they think they're abiding by the law, the letter of the law, and he wants them to. No, it's the law, the royal law, love. It's the law of liberty. You're free to do good things. So if you want to keep the rules and live by the law, then let it be genuine. Let it be sincere love for the brethren and for your neighbor, neighbor, the royal law of love, in which we can only do because we are under the law of liberty, completely free from the letter of the law by the cross, and now able to fulfill the whole law by the Holy Spirit. And as we see, there's no reason for the world, and we're going to be studying this, but there's really no reason for the world or any of us to believe that you're you know, walking with the Lord if you can't love, if you can't forgive, if you're showing partiality and respecting the, the rich guy. You know, for an, I don't know what to use as an example. Uh, a high-paid quarterback from a town close by starts showing up in our church. You know, are you going to treat him any different than anybody else? I mean, it's hard not to. You think, what are you doing here, first of all? And, you know, can your security guys go sit somewhere else or whatever, you know? But bottom line is, should we show any difference to this guy than we would anybody else? By your words, your faith is heard. But by your life, faith is known to all. And Jesus said, you know, they will know that we are his disciples uh, by the love we have for one another. So that's really all I got. Just the first thir- uh, 13 verses. And come Sunday, we'll do a little recap of this and then go on to the rest of chapter 2. If you want to stand up and stretch, let's pray. Lord, we do need you for all things, and we need you to work in our hearts and our minds, and um, to to just have the right thoughts about these things, but also to have the power in our hearts and the power of your Holy Spirit to just be wise and not fall after these things and, and fall into the trap of favoritism, not fall into the lust and greediness of of trying to get rich and pursuing those things. You know, as we studied in last chapter, right in the middle of these pursuits, people are, they fade away because riches fades away. And Lord, we just pray that you'd continue to grow the love in our fellowship and the love for the church at large and love for our neighbor and love for the lost. And that can only come from you. We're looking for something in us that only you can do, Lord, and we just pray for that. Give us your love for one another and your love for the world. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.